0: Everybody doing okay? Good, good. All right. Everyone had a good swim to church this morning. Is it still raining out there? It's great. Um, hey, glad you guys are here. So we have been working through an Old Testament book, the book of Nehemiah. We're in chapter ten today. If you haven't been here with us through this, I, I, I hope you've enjoyed it so so far. If you've been here, it's it's oddly fascinating um, these stories in the Old Testament. We sometimes kind of discount the Old Testament and. It's very rich. I mean, there's a lot of really interesting stuff in there. If you have not been here, let me tell you a little bit about the book of Nehemiah. Not a hard book to follow, pretty easy to understand, about a man named Nehemiah, Jewish man who was exiled from his homeland of Jerusalem, uh, uh, the city of Jerusalem, out into what is modern-day Iraq. Biblically, you'll hear it referred to as Babylon, okay? Under the, the Persian king, a guy named Artaxerxes, he eventually worked for the Persian king heard that his city was in ruins, got permission from Artaxerxes to travel 1,700 miles back, which is a pretty long distance back in that time, travel back specific, specifically to rebuild the wall around the city of Jerusalem. Because if there is no wall around the city, the city couldn't flourish, society wouldn't be safe. So Nehemiah got permission to go back and rebuild the wall so the city of Jerusalem and the people of God, the Jews, could again flourish in that area. If you haven't been here, in chapter six, they complete the wall. It's done, right? Chapter seven, the exiles, the people who had left the area, start to come back and repopulate the area, not just the city, but the surrounding towns around Jerusalem. They come back. Chapter eight, we see that they celebrate the fact that God has given them their city back. So there's this huge party, it says, to eat the best food and drink the best wine and share it with your neighbors and... It was this huge celebration to remember what God has done for them and and to remember their identity in God. And then in chapter 9, there's kind of a turn. After this huge celebration, after they're kind of getting settled in, they then repent for their sins. Not just their sins. They repent of the sins of their fathers and their forefathers. And there's this recognition of this fact that if God is absent in our lives, we're going to wreck things, right? We're going to mess stuff up. And so what we talked about from chapter nine last week is in chapter nine, there's this cycle. Basically, humanity messes up. We see that we, we messed up. We go to God. We ask for his forgiveness. He forgives us because he's good. Um, we get comfortable and complacent and entitled. We fall back into sin. Stuff falls apart. We go back to God. God forgive us. God's good. He forgives us. Then we get comfortable and the whole, the whole cycle starts again, right? And what we talked about last week is can we break that cycle? Can we get out of it? And and, and I think the Bible tells us absolutely we can, that we can get out of that cycle. That was chapter 9, okay? Chapter 10 is about now they are going to literally sign an oath that they are going to follow the Bible, right? They're going to make everyone sign a document that they are intending to follow the Bible and build up the church of God. Now, chapter 10, if you have read this before me, before today, or as we read it today, at first you're going to go, how in the heck does this apply to my life? And I guess that's, that's, I guess that's what I'm supposed to do up here. When we, I, yeah, I'm finally figuring out what I'm supposed to do now, 13 years into this. So uh, what we will do is we will go through chapter 10. I'm going to skip the list of names. You guys know why. Um, <laughs> we're going to go through chapter 10, and you might be shocked. how these things, how the principles of these things we're gonna talk about today from this document that they signed, how they apply to our lives today. But the overall subject we're gonna hit on is we are responsible for building up the house of God. And I'll explain to you what the house of God is towards the end of this lesson, okay? So you should have got a notes handout when you walked in. Everything I'm gonna say is in there. Everything is on the screens around the room. If you have the app, the Experience Community app, just click on Sermon Notes, you got everything right there. Got the scripture, got the notes. Everything is right there under sermon notes, okay? And if you have a Bible, we're in between the book of Ezra and Esther. Lies the book of Nehemiah. We're in chapter 10. And we'll get through it pretty quick today and have a little extra time to do communion today so we can reflect a little bit on the things we talk about. Again, be patient with me. Once we get to the end, it's it's all gonna come together. I, I, I give you my word, okay? Let me pray, and we'll dive into this, all right? Good? Everyone's doing well, right? Okay. Good. All right. Lord Jesus, God, we love you. Um, Thank you for this time together, Lord. Thank you that we have the opportunity to come in and study your word. God, I pray, Lord, that your word speaks to us today. I pray that it encourages us, challenges us, God, uh, corrects us, Lord. Um, God, we pray not just for our church, but we pray for every church in our city. Pray for our other campuses and the churches where those campuses are, God. Lord, now more than ever, we need you and we need your word. So I pray, God, that, that our time today is fruitful, that it's beneficial. I pray that it honors you and I pray that it's a blessing to us, God, and that it brings us closer to you. So Lord, keep your hand on us today, God, and we thank you for everything you've done for us, Lord, and we pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen. So what I'm gonna do, I'm gonna read the last verse of chapter nine. I'm gonna roll right into chapter 10. I'm gonna skip all those names. I'll read a little bit and we'll break down this first section, Okay. Nehemiah writes, In view of all this, we are making a binding agreement in writing on a sealed document containing the names of our leaders, Levites, and priests. Those names who were sealed on the document were the governor of Nehemiah, all these other people that I'm not going to read. Going down to verse 28, The rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, The temple servants, along with their wives and sons and daughters, everyone who is able to understand and who has separated themselves from the surrounding peoples to obey the law of God, join with their noble brothers and commit themselves with a sworn oath to follow the law of God given through God's servant Moses and to obey carefully. All the commands, ordinances, and statutes of the Lord our God. They're basically gonna sign a document that says we're gonna follow the Bible. At that time, they only had the first five books, okay? The reason they were doing that is in light of chapter nine and the admittance of all of their faults and mistakes and sins, they have come to the point to where they have realized if we're not committed to living for God, not only do we fall apart, society falls apart. That's what they have realized. So they're going to get together, commit to following God, and they are also going to commit to being held accountable. And so in view of their sin, in view of their arrogance, they took steps to change. And I like how Nehemiah thinks. He's like, okay, that's great. Sign your name right there, and we're going to make sure that you change, right? So I thought, we're going to start doing that. We're going to have these sign-up sheets on your way. No, I'm just joking. Anyways... (laughs) But Nehemiah said, okay, we're gonna change and we're gonna be held accountable for that. But here's the thing, his name was the first one signed because he was at the top of the food chain, if you will. He was the governor. So he was the guy that ruled the whole area. And so the long list of names started with him because he was in charge, but it had the priests, the Levites, the leaders of the people, the people that led in the marketplace and in, in politically. And all, they all signed their names first. And then the rest of the community didn't sign their name, they swore an oath. I don't know if they lifted their hands or not, but they swore an oath. Now, what we learn from this is that every single one of us in this room is responsible for our personal relationship with God. Listen, I could be the worst pastor in the world, the worst pastor in the world, but when you stand in front of Jesus, you're not gonna be able to blame me for your lack of relationship with God. You're not gonna be able to blame your parents, you're not gonna be able to blame a president. You are gonna have to stand in front of Jesus and you will have to give an account of what you did with your your life, your decisions, your words, your actions, okay? So first and foremost, every single one of us are responsible for our personal relationship with Jesus. But on the other side of that coin, people who are in positions of leadership will be held to an even stricter judgment according to James chapter three. What that means is, If I get on this stage every week and I mislead people and lead them away from the things of God versus to the things of God, you can bet everything that I will be held accountable for that. Not just people in spiritual positions, civic leaders, people in the government, even anyone who has influence. I believe anyone who influences people's decisions will be held to a stricter judgment than people who are just listening to that. That's why James says, not many of you should become teachers and leaders because you'll be held to a stricter judgment. And we see that in this list. So the oath that they're about to sign is an oath to follow the commands of Moses. That's the first five books of the Bible. It's called the Torah, right? And that's, at this time, that's all they had. So they committed to follow the entire word of God. Why? Because when we follow the word of God, we become holy people. What that means is we live a lifestyle that honors God. In fact, Peter echoes this. If you go into the New Testament, Peter says we are a chosen people set apart as holy for the purpose of advancing the kingdom of God, proclaiming the truth of God to the world. How we become holy is not just by walking into a building or getting a you know, Jesus tattoo or wearing a shirt. It is how we live. It is our obedience to the teachings and commands of this book. That's what sets us aside as people that God views as holy people. The neat thing about this in this chapter is there were a lot of foreigners. They were not Jews by birth who took this oath, which means that you don't have to be born into the right family to have a relationship with the true God. It also tells us that our distinction from the world is not where we're born, it's not our color of skin, it's not the kind of clothes we wear, it is how we choose to live our life. That's what sets us apart for God to use us. That is really refreshing to hear. So regardless of the background that you and I come from, regardless of what color you are, what gender you are, how, you know, what mistakes your parents made, what mistakes you made. If we will be humble enough to submit to the King of Kings, we get to work for the kingdom and receive the benefits of the kingdom. That is a really, really refreshing thing to hear, right? So that's what we're talking about so far. Let's get into the specifics of what they signed, the details of this document, okay? We will not give our daughters in marriage to the surrounding people's, and we will not take their daughters as wives for our sons. When the surrounding peoples bring merchandise or any kind of grain to sell on the Sabbath day, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or any holy day. We will also leave the land uncultivated in the seventh year and will cancel every debt. Don't you wish we still did that? Verse 32, he says, we will impose the following commands on ourselves. Let me pause there for a second. This is important. This is why the Bible in context is important. At this point, Nehemiah says, God is not telling us to do what I'm about to say. We have put this on ourselves. We choose to go above what the Bible tells us, and we are going to do these things. That's why he says that. We're imposing this part on ourselves. To give an eighth of an ounce of silver yearly for the service of the house of our God, The bread displayed before the Lord, the daily grain offering, the regular burnt offering, the Sabbath and new moon offerings, the appointed festivals, the holy things, the sin offerings to atone for Israel, and for all of the work of the house of our God. We have cast lots among the priests, Levites, and people for the donation of wood by our ancestral families at the appointed times of each year. They are to bring the wood to our God's house to burn on the altar of the Lord our God as it is written in the law. And now right now you're like, how does any of this apply to my life? Well, you'll find this interesting. The first part they say, we will not give our daughters and we will not take the daughters of foreigners. Now listen, this has nothing to do with nationality. This has nothing to do with color. The reason why it has nothing to do with nationality or color is Moses, a Jewish man from Israel, was married to a black woman from Ethiopia. So we know that interracial relationships are totally fine. We know that marrying people from other cultures and places is 100% fine. What is not fine is an unequal yoking spiritually. That's what he is referring to. And this is echoed in 2 Corinthians as well. What that means is this. When we get married, Genesis 2.24 says we become one flesh with our spouse. And this phraseology of unequally yoked spiritually means we are not to marry someone that does not believe in the same God that we do. Because what happens is like if you take two ox, right, and you yoke them together, if one is super strong and one is not strong, what happens is it gets off track. It goes the wrong direction. So here's the other clarity to that. If you're in this room and and you and your spouse, one of you, like you were married before you knew Jesus, one of you gets saved. The other side is, is later on in 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians, I can't remember which, it says that you are to remain with your non-believing spouse because you are the best hopes of them coming to faith in Christ. But what we are to do, if we know better, right? And if you're a young person in this room and you're dating or seriously getting involved with someone that is not a believer, the Bible tells you not to do that because it will compromise your faith. Fun fact, Genesis 2.24 says we become one flesh. Genesis 2.25 says, and then they were naked with each other. So anyway, so yeah, yeah, it's in the Bible, so you can say it. Okay. <laughs> All right, Corey. <laughs> The second, hey, I'm almost done for the weekend, man. I'm I'm getting there. I'm getting close. Uh, Another promise after about this unequally yoking that they make is they promise to not conduct business on the Sabbath day. Now, this is actually one of the Ten Commandments, that they are to honor a Sabbath because God knows that we need rest. Let me back this up, and I'm not trying to be an offensive jerk right now. The implication with a rest day is that we have worked the other days. Now, now listen, I'm not trying to be a jerk, but we live in a culture right now. We're in a labor crisis right now. People just don't want to work. Mankind was made to work. Before the fall of man, when we sinned, we worked. God says he wouldn't create the earth until he knew he was going to create someone to work the earth. Right, it says that in Genesis. And then, we, of course, we worked after the fall. We're designed to be doing something productive. And so Sabbath is, is is basically being earned because we have worked hard the other days of the week. So setting intentional time to rest not only settles us down, it reminds us of who provides for us. It is intentional time to recharge spiritually, and it helps us be set apart for God to use us. God knows that you need to rest. Now, Sabbath is not vegging out. It's not the same thing. The word Sabbath literally means cessation, which means coming to a close. That's why to the Jews, Saturday was the Sabbath. It was the end of the week. That's why to the Christian, a lot of people consider the Sabbath to be Sunday. It's the end of the week. Sabbath doesn't have to be a literal day. There are people watching right now or who will watch this week because they work on the weekends. Doesn't mean they're breaking the Sabbath. It means that you have to have an intentional time set apart for you to meditate, to read the word of God, to think on the things of God, to literally rest. Right to spend some quality time with your family, with your spouse, whatever the case may be. It's not watching all 10 seasons of Friends on Netflix, which is my Sabbath. That's not what that refers to. It's not like girls' night out. It seems like I'm picking on women both times there. I'm really sorry. But anyways, it's not going out and just working on your car all day. There you go, man. Okay. Another thing that I find interesting is they say every seventh year, they committed to every seventh year, they would, they would forgive all debts right? And they would even give the earth a Sabbath. They would give the crops, they would give the fields time to rest, and they would not cultivate new crops. So what we're seeing here is they understood that the earth was given to them to steward and to take care of. That's also in the book of Genesis, right? So they took care of the land as well, and they forgive debts, so the point of this is to cultivate generosity in us, to cultivate conservationism in us. And I'm not saying that in any political weird way, to take care of what God has given us, to steward the earth well. And it is interesting to ask, do, do we do a good job with that, right? That's why I think if you litter, you're, I mean, that's awful, right? Because you're, you're, you're taking for granted this beautiful lamb that God has given us, that we are to take care of the things that God has entrusted us with. Now, this is not biblical, but they took it upon themselves to give 8% of their finances to the building up of the temple the literal building and to pay for all the religious festivals that they would do they imposed that on themselves now what the bible instructed them to do is to give 10% of their income for the work of the ministry and nowadays if if the church does that like you guys are amazing at that Um, the 10% is enough for the church to function, or at least it should be if the church is handling their money wisely. So not only did the people give 18% of their income, which is pretty substantial to the work of the ministry, they would also donate their wood so all of the altars at the temple would have wood to, to, to burn, right? To burn the sacrifices. I find this interesting. In Jewish culture, if you knew that God wanted you to do something but you didn't know if you were to walk down this road or that road it was very common in Jewish culture. They would literally pull out lots, dice. Roll them and go, I guess we're going this way, right? That that was very acceptable in Jewish culture. And I find this interesting. They all decided we're going to donate the wood to the temple. Who's going to do it? Break out the dice, right? And they would like roll it and they're like, "Nope, I guess the Jones family is doing it this week." So That's how they would decide things. So just kind of an interesting little side bit there. So next set of specifics. We will bring the first fruits of our land of every fruit tree to the Lord's house year by year. We will also bring the firstborn of our sons and our livestock as prescribed by the law and will bring the firstborn of our herds and flocks to the house of our God and to the priests who serve in God's house. We will bring a loaf from our first batch of dough to the priests in the storerooms of the house of our God. We will bring the first fruits of our grain offerings of every fruit tree and of the new wine and fresh oil. A tenth of our land's produce belongs to the Levites, for the Levites are to collect one-tenth offering in all of our agricultural towns. A priest from Aaron's descendants is to accompany the Levites when they collect the tenth, and the Levites are to take of the tenth of this offering to the storerooms of the treasury in the house of God. For the Israelites and the Levites are to bring the contributions of grain, new wine, fresh oil to the storerooms where the articles of the sanctuary are kept, and where the priests who are ministers are, are priests who minister are, along with the gatekeepers and singers. We will not neglect the house of our God. And again, you're like what in the world? How does this apply to us? Again, it's going to be interesting. The first thing is, Nehemiah says, we commit to bringing our first fruits to the house of God. That literally meant the first fruits, that if they had orchards, if they had vineyards, whatever it was, that the best fruit that came off first, they would bring that to the temple. The reason why they would do that is it symbolized that all things belong to God ultimately. I may say these are my trees, but, but it all belongs to God. It is the idea, because the Bible says, every good and perfect thing we have is from God. It is this mindset that we understand that our house, our cars, our kids, our lifestyle, our freedom, everything we have that is good in our life, doesn't ultimately belong to us. It is borrowed by us from God for a time and we are called to steward it well. If we have it in our mind that ultimately every good thing belongs to God, this mindset enables us to live a lot more open-handed with the things we have in our life because it's not really mine in the first place, right? So we're a lot more open, open-handed with it. He says something interesting. He says, even our sons and our livestock... Well, the livestock, that's easy, right? Because they had to make sacrifices at the temple. People needed to eat. So, okay, we understand giving the first of your livestock, but your firstborn son? Now, that's not literal. What they would do is if they had a son, they would give an extra payment to the temple. It was kind of symbolic of this, is, this, this son of mine belongs to God, but I'm, I'm going to purchase him back, if you will. It was kind of this very honorary thing of, of giving an extra payment to the temple because you had a son. All it is, is another reminder that not just our, uh, our finances, not just our livelihood belongs to God. My children belong to God. My family belongs to God, right? My sustenance, my health, livestock they had to eat, right? My sustenance belongs to God. It's all God's. It's not mine. That's what that is. And then verse 37 is interesting. It says that things that they would make, like bread or wine or olive oil, that they would give a 10th of that to, to the storeroom of God and to the work of the ministry. Now this is interesting because these are man-made things, things that they would produce. And what that teaches us is, we are, we are to also contribute our talents to God, our abilities to God, our skills are to be, to be honoring of the kingdom of God. That means that if you're in here and maybe you have a gift for, for woodworking, right, and you see that your neighbor down the road's deck is falling apart and you're like, hey, I'm going to use my skills to bless that person down there. Or maybe you're a great artist. We have a lot of those here that oh, we're going we're to throw together our talent and we're going to bless someone by, by creating a beautiful mural. Or It is using our God-given talents and skills and abilities for the kingdom of God. That's what verse 37 is talking about. The things that we make, we also offer to God because they belong to him as well. Fascinating. And then it says that what would happen is they would give a 10%, right, of what they had to the work of the ministry. Um, I I think you guys know this. The reason myself and everyone else that works here, the reason why we get a paycheck is is, is you. You know, a lot of you give 10% of your income here. We use that, of course, for a lot of things, but part of that is to, to make sure that we have jobs. And so what they did is the ministry, the Levites, would live off the people, but the Levites also gave 10% back to the church. And we still do this today. All of us that work here, we literally sign something that says we will also give at least 10% back to the church that we receive to the church because it's biblical. And what else is interesting is it says that they had someone from Aaron's descendants to make sure that everything was ethically happening the way it should, that everything was ethical. And so they had oversight. So what's interesting about the Old Testament and the New Testament is the structure of church really hasn't changed as much as we think it has. All these things were still there. So the, the, the Levites didn't always handle all the money. Like, I don't handle any of the money here. I don't know who gives. I don't write any checks. I don't do... Any of that. We have elders that look at all the finances twice a year. I put it all up here on the screens and say, this is how much that comes in. This is where it all goes for accountability's sake. That has always been present with the people of God, or at least it should have been. And then the last thing that he says, Nehemiah, he says, we promise to not neglect the house of our God. What that means is this. He's saying, we promise to strengthen the family of God. The church community, that's what this is. He's saying, we are all swearing to protect this and make sure this is strong. So how do we do that? One, we all personally commit to living for Jesus to the best of our abilities. That means as individuals, all of us in here, we have to intentionally, purposefully say, we're gonna build our relationship with God. The second thing is we have to be open to being held accountable This is when people leave the church, right? Hey, man, like I haven't seen you at small group in a month and I heard that you're doing these things, man. Is is everything okay? (laughs) Everyone freaks out, right? How dare you ask me anything like that? I'm gone, right? People don't like to be held accountable. I don't like to be held accountable for just being honest, but I need it. I know that I need it. I'm that person where if I'm not doing things right and someone walks in and goes, Corey, man, you okay? I'm like, oh. Ah, yeah, you're right, I'm not good. You know, like, I'm that guy. So, commit to living for Jesus. Be willing to be held accountable. Protect your Sabbath time. That means that it's important what you're doing right now, guys. Seriously. Not only is it important what you're doing right now, when you leave this place, unless you have to go to work, spend some time with your family. Um, Play a board game. Talk a little bit. Make sure sometime today you, you, you pray. Pray with your family. Make sure you spend a little bit of time just resting and relaxing because you're gonna have plenty of crazy to go back to Monday, right? So make sure that you use this time wisely. And then also we are called to use our resources wisely and for the kingdom of God. This is how we protect the house of God. So if you're a scholar in here or if you're a troll on YouTube or whatever and you're you're a New Testament scholar, you say, well, Corey, we're in the new covenant. We're in a New Testament And there is no such thing as a temple. We are the temple. You're not wrong. The Bible says, yes, that currently you and I are the temple of God, that the presence of God does not reside in brick and mortar, but the presence of God resides in the hearts of a people. That is absolutely true. It is also absolutely true that in the book of Hebrews, it says that we are to corporately meet together like this as the church and that we should be doing that more and more until Christ comes back. So the point is the same. The point is, is that you and I, as the temple in the temple, right? We have to make sure that we are living holy lives that are set apart for God to use us. The point has not changed from Old Testament to New Testament. So here's what you and I are responsible for, okay? You and I in this room. We're responsible for three things. We're responsible for our personal relationship with Jesus. Everyone in this room, You are responsible for your walk with Christ. I am a supplement. The church is a supplement. All those, the people in your life are a supplement. Ultimately though, your decisions are your decisions. Okay, that's your first responsibility. Our second responsibility is the other side of that coin. Am I responsible for me? Yes, but I'm also responsible for you too. And you're responsible for me. This is a team effort. Whenever people, I said this a couple of weeks ago, whenever people are like, it's just me and Jesus. It's not the way it's supposed to be biblically. You're supposed to have this. You're supposed to have brothers and sisters in Christ. Galatians 6. We are to bear each other's burdens and fulfill the law of Christ. This is a team effort. Whether you like me or not, you're my brother. You're my sister, right? We're walking this thing out together. That's the way it's supposed to be. We're responsible for ourselves. We're responsible for each other. And here's the kicker. We are responsible for the reputation of both of those things outside of this place in a non-believing world. Let me tell you what that means. It means if you're walking around with a bandana that says, you know, God loves you and a shirt that says, you know, Jesus is awesome and tattoos of ichthuses, that's the little fish thing, all this stuff all over you and you're, you're, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian and then you go to a restaurant and treat your waitress like garbage. Do you know it doesn't just make you look bad? It makes me look bad and it makes him look bad. And people start to build a reputation of God based on you and me. It doesn't mean we're perfect, guys. I've lost my cool on I-24 as well, right? We've all made mistakes. It's temptation road, man. That's what that is. Uh, I feel like the Holy Spirit's like, you know, in someone else's car. I just, uh, it's bad. But we are responsible for the reputation of ourselves, the church, and God in our community. The Bible says that we are to live at peace with everyone as much as possible. And we need to make sure that we are carrying the reputation of God in a way that honors God, okay? In order to do that, though, we cannot neglect the house. What does that mean? Again, all of us in this room, we need to choose to intentionally, purposefully grow our relationship with Jesus. Reading the Bible, praying, being at church, being in a group, having community, simple stuff. We need to commit to doing that. Not just that, we need to commit to building up the church. What that means is this. We showed that video of Tara that's out in Uganda right now. Many of you have never been to Uganda. You may never go to Uganda, but by our finances, because we're unbelievably blessed in this nation, we can send money to her and she can baptize street kids, by the droves and give out you know hundreds and hundreds of Bibles and villages and areas where they've never even seen people of different colors than them. And we can do all these amazing things and we can build up the church. I'm not talking about a building, I'm talking about a people. We can build that up together. We have to be committed to that stuff as well, individually and as a group, we have to be committed. In order to do this, though, we must live distinct, separate, and holy lives. That does not mean isolation from the world. That's not what that means. The Jesus model was never isolation. It was never staying away from bad people. It was being around bad people. In fact, Jesus' disciples would often get criticized. People would walk up the religious people and be like, hey, we heard you follow Jesus why does he always hang out with dirtbags, right? They didn't say dirtbags, they said publicans and sinners. Why does he hang out with them? And Jesus made it clear, I didn't come for those who think they're okay. I came for those who are sick. And let me tell you what, Jesus in bodily form is not on earth right now. His spirit dwells in us. We are here in bodily form and it is our job not to be isolated from the world, but to be insulated by the power of the Holy Spirit so we can go out into the world and share the good news with those who do not know Jesus yet. If Christians isolate themselves, how does anyone come to Christ? We just need to be insulated by the Holy Spirit. Insulation, and again, what a lot of people think of when the Bible says become separate and holy. Well, let's build a commune out in Bedford County and, you know, make our own clothes. That's not what that means. We are separated, not by our geographical location. We are separated by how we view the world and we view the world through this book. It is a biblical worldview. That's what sets us apart. That's what makes us unique and different and powerful. We must also welcome accountability. You need to hold me accountable. I need to hold you accountable. And we need to welcome that because we should love each other. We're family. We must also give God our best. That doesn't mean that life is just the ultimate downer. That's not what that means. What Jesus said in Matthew is he said, if you will seek first my kingdom, he said, I'll take, care, I'll take care of everything else. Just seek first the kingdom of God and all of these things will be added to you. So I think there is this fear in a lot of us that if I go to God first, God's just gonna spoil my plans. It says in the book of Jeremiah that God has better plans for your life than you have for yourself. You may go to God and be like, holy cow, I didn't think it could be that good. I didn't think you could do that with me, God. But here's what we often do in life. We make plans. Here comes conviction. We make plans, and then we ask God to sign off on the plans that we've already determined for our life. Anyone else done this besides me? I'm gonna move. God, is that cool? You've already decided. Why'd you even ask him? What's the point? God, should I move? And then make your decision right? Seek first the kingdom of God. And if we bring these first fruits to God, the first fruits are of our time, of our finances, and of our talents and abilities. If we will do that, we will actually find joy. If we do that, we will be a blessing to those around us. Let me talk about finances for a second. I know that's uncomfortable in church, but but whatever. I have never met anyone who faithfully tithed to their church, who starved to death, who didn't have things provided for them, and quite frankly, didn't have joy in the fact that they contributed. Most people who are faithfully financially like that, they have a completely different outlook on materialism and everything else. I don't know if you know this, tithing has nothing to do with money. It has everything to do with the posture of the heart. That's what that's about. I have never met anyone, talking about time, I have never met anyone who gave the first part of their day to reading the word of God or praying or cutting off the radio and and listening to the word or praying on their way to work. I've never met anyone who faithfully did that, who has an attitude that is terrible, that is negative. Those people are typically the most positive, uplifting, strong people you can be around because they have given God the first fruits of their time. I have never met anyone who gives their talents and abilities to to other people, right? Right? And when I talk about this, there have been people at this church who are, who are, who are wonderful like hairstylists that I've heard them dedicating and, and setting aside time to, to cut people's hair for free just to bless them and stuff like that. I've never met anyone who gives God the first fruit of their talents who, who doesn't smile about it, who doesn't, who doesn't feel fulfilled because of it. If we will give God our best, God will really take care of us. He will bless us and he will bless others because of us. If we neglect this, though. If we neglect the building up of of the house and the house, if we neglect that, not only do we forfeit the gifts that God has for us now, like wisdom and joy and peace. These are the fruit of the Spirit, a couple of them, right? Not only do we forfeit these wonderful things. Guys, if the world needed a gift of the Holy Spirit right now, we need the gift of wisdom more than anything, But we forfeit that if we don't build a relationship with Jesus. Not only do we forfeit the blessings now, we forfeit an eternity of blessings. And I'm not trying to be a downer, but if we choose to not have a relationship with now, Jesus said this, I didn't say this, if you deny me on earth, I will deny you in heaven or eternity, right? We forfeit a lot more than just now. We forfeit eternity. Listen, if you've never heard me say this before, there's an even bigger cost than just ourselves. Humanity is symbiotic, which means what we do affects other people always because we're all connected. The Bible says it this way, we are all one body. If the pinky gets smashed, the whole body knows what has happened to the pinky. Well, I'm just a right arm, I don't care. Yes, you do. Because that pain shoots all the way through your system, right? You care, or at least we should. We are connected. So listen, listen to this. If I am an individual or negligent of my relationship with with God, it affects my wife, it affects my children, it affects you, it affects my neighbor, it affects my, my extended family, it affects a lot of people. And listen, if a lot of us in this room neglect our relationship with God, of course that affects the health of the entire church. So if the individual temple is neglected, the temple will be neglected. Now here's where it gets into a kicker. And when the temple is neglected, the church, the whole city starts to fall apart. I call it the United States of America. Listen, I'm not trying to be a jerk, but because the church in the United States has been negligent of this book, because churches have failed to teach This book, listen, I'm speaking at a conference in November and they have asked me to speak about why I teach the Bible the way I do. I am going to go to town on some pastors, guys. So yeah, isn't that great? If you want to come to a conference and see just how big of a jerk Corey Trimble can be, I built a PowerPoint around it. It's going to be fantastic. (laughs) Anyways, but here's here's, here's why I'm so passionate about this book. For the last 30, 40 years, the church in the United States has done everything except teach it. And now we are seeing the ramifications of a society that has stepped away from being committed to that book. But it starts with the church. I love the church. I think the church is the hope of the city. I believe it. But because we have been negligent as individuals, because we've been negligent as a church community, it has now affected our cities. It has now affected our country. There's a cost of our negligence. So, what do we do? Very simple couple of questions here. Are you and I, as individuals, committed to growing our relationship with God? Would you swear by it? Think about that for a second. If someone were to walk up to you and say, Are you growing your relationship with God? Well, yeah. Would you put your name on the dotted line? Would you put your seal? Would you stake everything on that? Ooh, boy, it got a little real there. Uh Uh-oh. Are we committed? Would we swear by it? Would we swear by it? Are we giving God the first fruits? Do we understand that it's all his anyways, right? Are we giving the first fruits of our time? Are we praying? Are we reading the word of God? Guys, I'm not talking about six hours a day. I'm talking about taking 15 minutes in the morning, God, thank you for another day. Protect my children. Protect every. I'm going to tell you because the world's crazy. Every single night we pray at night together. I always pray, of course, for for my family. I pray for our neighbors, our friends. I say, God, protect my girls' schools that they go to. Protect their principals. Protect their teachers. God, keep. Your, I just want. I want to make sure that everyone is taken care of. Are we giving the first fruits of that time? Are we giving the first fruits of our finances? It's not so I can get rich. I show you. I show you every year, twice a year, that I'm not getting rich off this place. No one that works here is. But do we have a passion to to pay for Bibles in Europe, start churches in Africa, support churches in Northeast, do things for our city? Do we have a passion for that? And are we using our talents for God, your abilities, your skills that God has given you? Are you offended that I even asked those questions? Do we have a willingness to be held accountable we live in a nation right now that has a spirit of offense. We are offended by everything. If we do anything well in the United States, let's get offended. We're offended by everything, right? Hey, nice gray shirt. It's blue. Are we willing to be held accountable? Listen, we're held accountable by people because 99% of the time, they love us. If I see you driving off a cliff and I was like, hey, man, like, can I help you turn the steering wheel this way? It's not because I don't love you. It's, it's because I really love you. I don't want you to, to go off a cliff. I don't want your marriage to be ruined. I don't, I don't want you to be ruined. I care for you. If you surround yourself with the right people, let, let them ask you the hard questions do we understand the, the deep ramifications if we neglect this and if we neglect this? Do we understand how big of a problem we're going to have to deal with? I think we're starting to a little bit in this, in, in this part of the world. That if we neglect this, if we neglect this, man, it gets rough. And then my last question for you is, and, and maybe it's anticlimactic, when we leave here, what will we do differently? When we leave here, what will we intentionally commit to change? What will we do? Not just hear some good words, feel good, and like go home and do nothing about it. What will we commit to doing differently when we leave this place? Would you bow your heads with me, please? If you are in this room and you're not a believer, up here on my right, your left, Pastor Mike is up here. If you have any questions for, for Mike, we're not afraid of questions. You're not going to hurt our feelings. We don't get offended easily. Please come up here and talk to Mike. Seriously. If you are in this room and you need prayer for anything in your life, absolutely anything, there are men and women on both sides of the stage. Come up here and get prayer. Seriously, for anything. It can be your finances or a job situation, a a family member that's sick, it can be for you. Anything you want, please, let someone pray with you. The last thing is this, and I ended a little bit early on, ten, uh, on purpose. We have communion all the way around this room where we see a lamp on a table that represents the body and blood of Jesus Christ, the bread and the wine. The fact that Jesus Christ came, died on the cross for us, sacrificed his body, shed his blood. So not only that our sins could be forgiven, but that he would open up the door for us to receive his Holy Spirit and, and, and have that guidance and that counsel and that comfort, right? Everyone is welcome to take communion as long as you ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins. It's the only thing you have to do. Here's what I want you to do today as your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed because we've got a couple of minutes. If you get your communion today, if you choose to do that, come back to your seat and I'm gonna let you take that communion by yourself. You can do it with your spouse or a friend, however you want to do it, but I want you to have some personal time. And what I would love for you to do during that personal time is maybe ask God. God, is there something I'm holding back from you? Is there a talent that I need to be using? Is there a, am I not giving you the first fruits of my time? Ask him to reveal something in you that maybe needs to to be let go or maybe something you need to, to, to pick up. And then I'm gonna encourage you, be quiet for a minute and let God talk to you. He may reveal to you where maybe you're, you're holding back or, or not letting go of some things. Let him talk to you for a minute. Father, Lord, we love you, God. I thank you so much for this church, God. I feel so honored to be a part of it. Lord, I pray, God, that you just protect everyone in this room, God. I pray that you keep them safe, physically, spiritually, mentally, I pray, God, that all of us in this room, that you can kind of light a fire under us a little bit, Lord, and and help us to be more committed to your word. God, we need your word, and we need you probably more than than we ever have, God. And so, Father, Lord, we just thank you for this time. We thank you for your grace and mercy. And I pray blessings, God, over everyone in this room. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you guys very much. Uh, Pray that you guys have a good day. Be safe on your way home.